0: this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. If you had met me at, at university and, 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 and seen what a messed up guy I was, <laughs> I remember in my first year, I, I went on the first year's camp. I think we were just about 16 people on the camp, and I met I met a girl there that I quite liked, became friends with, and then beginning of my second year, we actually started going out. But I, I should never have I should never have gone out with her. It, it just it just wasn't meant to be, you know. It wasn't it wasn't right. And um, after about three months, she dumped me, and. <laughs> It broke my heart, you know, but I, I should have known better, you know, I didn't, I didn't know myself that well, but, um, you know, I was, I was just not at a place at all where I could, you know, be in a relationship. I was just too broken. I was just too, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I hadn't found, I hadn't found myself in, in Christ yet. I, you know, I hadn't, been established in Christ yet. I didn't have the security I needed yet. I, um, you know, I hadn't given the Lord the, you know, opportunity to heal me yet. And, um, you know, being in a relationship like that, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it, um, when you're not ready for it, it can be very, very challenging. Um, and, you know, I, I think after a while, most of us realize that in terms of you know, marriage and finding a life partner. The, the biggest challenge is not finding the right partner, but becoming the right partner. You know, I, I so often hear, you know, young people come to speak to me, you know, talking about, you know, looking for the right partner and so on. And I, I usually tell them that's, that's the wrong focus. You cannot, you cannot determine other, what happens in other people's lives, but, but you can respond to what God's doing in your life. And um, the best thing that we can do is focus on what God is doing in our lives t- to help us to become the right partner, to become the right, right person. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, the, the key to that, to me, is, is what I shared this morning at the end. You know, unless you make Jesus your one true love, you'll never know true love. Unless you make Jesus your one true love, you'll never know true love. Because it's in making Jesus our one true love that it strengthens us, it fortifies us. He, he in, in our relationship with Him and in that intimacy with, with Him, He heals us and restores us and helps us to become that right partner, the right person. Um, so I just want to uh, share a bit about that um, this evening, and I'm going to just read a, a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians seven. Just, you can just listen with me. I, I, I did a whole bunch of verses this morning from 1 Corinthians 6 in the beginning of 7. So 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7 says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you, and, and when he says as I am, Paul means, you know, single, because he was, he was single. Um, he says, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. In other words, one has this gift, singleness like me, Paul. And the other one un- that, marriage, you know. Um, and then in verse eighty he says, Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I, uh, as I do. But, to, but if you cannot control yourself, uh, sorry, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife uh, must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or even be, uh, or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. In verse 26 it says, Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So some of what Paul is sharing here is contextual. There, there was a certain specific situation, what he calls the present crisis, that um, made his words especially strong. And he says... Um, you know, are you pledged to a, to a woman? Do not seek to be released. <clears throat> are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. <laughs> Paul, you're so considerate. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Now, if, if Paul had left it there, we'd like be like, what? <laughs> Paul, what are you talking about, you know? Are you losing it? But he, but he qualifies it and he explains it. He goes on, he says, those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. <clears throat> but, a married, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried man, an unmarried woman or virgin, is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So what we see here is that um, Paul has a, a really radical view of both singleness and marriage. Quite a radical view. Of singleness and marriage, you know. If I can paraphrase one of the verses, he says, "You know, um, you know. Are you, are you are you single? Don't be in too much of hurry to get married. Are you are you, are you married? Don't don't try and get single. You know. Both singleness and marriage are very good ways of being a Christian. Are excellent ways of being a Christian, and and each has its advantages and its disadvantages." And, and, and what Paul is saying is that each of them is a gift. You see that verse in the beginning where he says, um, to each one is given a gift from God. That's interesting. To each one is given a gift from God. So, so both your singleness and your marriage is a gift from God. The time that you are single is a gift from God. And the time that you are married is a gift from God. And we should receive both as such. Because both of them, God gives them to us to help us enhance our relationship with Him and our devotion to Him. Oops, closed my, my slides. So, so Paul has a, has a really radical view of, of both singleness and marriage, and, and I, I think we don't always appreciate how radical it was. I mean, for us it's kind of surprising and, and even a bit you know shocking in, uh, when we read it, but it would have been even more so in his own time, in the first century, uh, Tim Keller says, Christianity is the first religion, philosophy, or thought system that ever lifted up long-term singleness for adults as a perfectly good way to live. This was absolutely stunning in the first century. You know, we, 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 we often say, no, but, you know, it was easy for them to say that in those days. You know, singleness was even more easy in, that in those days. It wasn't. On the contrary, it was more difficult. A lot more difficult. Um, in fact... You know, in, in a, our society is very individualistic. So it, in that sense, it's easier to be single. In those days, it was very communal, very corporate. I, I mean, they thought sort of corporately as a whole. You, you couldn't be successful. You couldn't have uh, significance and honor by yourself. It was your family that gave you honor, which was one of their highest values, honor. And was, it was linked to the family. Um, your future was linked to your family. Your security was linked to your family. I mean, if, if you didn't have heirs, I mean, in those days, maybe less than 5% of the people were r- like really rich and, and had in, you know, didn't have to work you know, to live. Most people lived on a day-to-day basis. They didn't work the day. They didn't eat. So there wasn't extra money to put into a retirement annuity. There was no retirement annuity. you only... Retirement annuity, your only security was your children, because when you became too old to work, they had to take care of you, they had to look after you. So you gave all of that up. You gave up your your the honor you could receive with your family. You gave up the 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 heirs, the physical heirs that would take care of you and give you financial security, and you gave up in the eyes of of society. You gave up all happiness. And, and, and they thought it ridiculous that, it, you know, it was unheard of that anyone would be, would be single in those days. You know, the only people who were single were the, were the prostitutes. Stanley Aurovas says, One of the clearest differences between Christianity and all other religions was Christianity's idea of singleness as a paradigm way of life for its followers. Paul and Jesus both say that some people will choose not to be married, and that's a good thing. This was revolutionary in ancient societies. The implications have seldom been appreciated. Since Jesus and Paul, it broke the absolute necessity of the family. Now creating a family is not something we had to do. And we, we'll see just now why, why that was, was even possible. Rodney Stark says, if Christian women became widowed, they enjoyed substantial advantages over those around them. Pagan uh, widows faced great social pressure to remarry. Caesar Augustus had widows fined if they failed to remarry within two years. But among Christians, widowhood was highly respected. Seriously, there were laws against being single. (laughs) If your husband died and you didn't marry within two years, you were dragged before the court and you were fined. Seriously. But among Christians, widowhood was highly respected and the church stood ready to sustain poor widows, allowing them the choice whether they wanted to remarry or not. In in other words, what I'm trying to say is, I mean, all of us... Know that pressure, whether we're we married or single. I mean, if, you, if you're single, you're feeling the pressure now. But if you're married, you felt it before you got married. That pressure, that's, that pressure from society, that pressure of expectation that you must get married. And the bad news for those who are not married yet, once you get married, the pressure doesn't stop. Because then they start asking you, well, are you pregnant yet? <laughs> 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 and as soon as you have the first child, it's like... When's the second one coming, you know? So the pressure never stops, you know? And, and there's this constant pressure from society, from our families. Sometimes, it, often it's well-meaning. You know, it's not malicious or anything, but there is that pressure. That pressure, are you going to find the right person? And, and, and a lot of that pressure comes from this belief, you know, which was there in the first century and which is here in a different way in our time, that you cannot possibly be a fulfilled human being unless you... You know, have sex, romance, marriage, something like that in your life. Unless you have a romantic relationship in your life. You, you cannot be a, a total and a complete and a fulfilled human being. And it, there's this, this pressure. Um, and in the early church, that, that pressure, the early church took away that pressure for singles. And you know, I think we should do it as well. I, I think we should take that pressure away as well. Because the pressure is not, it's not healthy. You know, it, it, it sort of, you know, makes you desperate in a way that, that in any case causes you often to, to undermine the, the relationships that you, that you are pursuing. Because you just cannot be yourself. When there's so much pressure, you cannot be yourself. You always feel you have to put your best foot forward. You know, and then you get married to the person <laughs> that you pushed your best foot forward and you realize that they also put their best foot forward. <laughs> and you thought you were marrying the right person and then you discover you don't even know who this person is. And even if you do marry the right person, guess what? They change. <laughs> they change. Soon they're a different person. <laughs> I had this old, old pastor once. He said, um, you know, he was about 70 odd years old and he said... Um, you know, my, my wife has been married to five different men, and all of them were me. <laughs> you change. You know, so, even if you think okay, you married the right person, they change. You know, um, in our time, you know, that, that pressure is compounded. It's compounded by, by the following I, I, I mentioned Ernest Becker and his book, Denial of Death. This morning, and, and listen to what he says. He says, secular Western society is the first society that has a widespread belief that there is no ultimate future. There's never been a society that has had such an understanding of the insignificance of human life. And as a result, there has never been a society that puts so much emphasis on finding your one true love. <clears throat> we secular people, now he's talking as a secular person, but the reality is many people in the church live in exactly the same way with exactly the same um, sort of worldview and exactly the same pressure. Um, We secular people still need to know that our life matters in the grand scheme of things. We still want to merge ourselves with some higher meaning in trust and gratitude. But if we no longer have God, how do we do this? One of the first ways that occurred to the modern person was the romantic solution. The self-glorification that human beings need in the innermost being, now we now look for, not in God, but in the love partner. What is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to this position? We want to be rid of our faults, rid of our feelings of nothingness. We want to be justified. We want to know that our existence has been not been in vain. We want redemption. Nothing less. In other words, if you don't believe in God and you don't have God in your life, you need to put something else in the place of God to give you the significance and the meaning in life that God would have given you. And what most people do is they put romantic relationships there. They put marriage there. Or, you know, sex and romantic relationships. Even if they don't get married and you know how much pressure that puts on you that you know how much pressure that puts on your partner you know how much pressure that puts on the relationship it's an unbearable pressure no human being and no real human relationship can bear that pressure of expecting it basically to be god you know and if you if you find that person i mean that person that will make you feel whole you know you complete me you know <laughs> <laughs> If you find the person who completes you, guess what? You're going to be so desperate, you're going to smother them when you do find them. And your expectation is going to be unbearable, and you're going to crush them under the weight of that expectation. And that's why Tim Keller says, if you don't make Jesus your one true love, you'll never know true love. Because only Jesus can wear the, bear the weight of that expectation. Only Jesus can carry that weight. Because only Jesus truly is God. He's the one human being who actually is God. So you can treat him as God. Safely. Does that make sense? And you know, this, this sounds, uh, to some of you, that this will sound like, like really a bit too spiritual. But I'm telling you now, you know, if you don't get this right, if Jesus doesn't occupy the right place in your life, nothing else will fall into place. Everything else will be out of place. Uh, Keller goes on to say, uh, Paul gives us the highest view of sex anyone ever had up to that time. And then he says it's quite okay to live your whole life without it. Christians have a higher view of sexuality, and yet we're more free from it than anyone who ever lived. We appreciate, we understand why God made sex so special. And I'm not going to repeat what I shared this morning, because that was what I shared on this morning. And, and we have a higher view of sex and sexuality than anyone else. And yet we're more free of it. Because we understand that sex is not a, it's just a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. And if you make it an end in, itso- in itself, if you make it basically the ultimate end, you will destroy it. And it will destroy you. That's the way it is with all idols. You destroy them, they destroy you. And the reason why... Um, Paul could have this radical view of both marriage and singleness and why, you know, under social circumstances where it seemed totally impossible, Christians could give up family, all that kind of stuff, uh, everything that went with it in their society was because uh, Christians had, they knew they had the ultimate family. They had the ultimate future and they had the ultimate love. They had the head ultimate family, which is God's family. Which is ultimately the only family that we'll need. And in that's why Jesus, let me just read this to you. In Mark chapter ten, verse twenty-nine and thirty, he says. Uh, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. In other words... That's what the Christians in, 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 the, in Paul's churches really believed. That even if we give these things up, we get the real thing. Here's, here's the, the point. I said this morning that, that marriage, even marriage, is just a shadow pointing to the substance of our covenant relationship with Christ. Okay? Only marriage is just a shadow pointing to the substance of our covenant relationship with Christ. And if you have the substance, you can use the shadow to point to it. Or you can forsake the shadow to glorify it, to say the substance is enough. Either way. And it's having the substance of that relationship with Christ which makes either marriage or singleness work if you're a Christian. Um, Paul Paul says in in verse 29, let me just read that to you. Um, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they weren't theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is passing away. Now, many people have looked at that and said, okay, Paul believes we live between sort of in the overlap of the ages. Jesus has come, and he's going to come again. In the overlap of the ages, we have the Spirit. We have the foretaste of the things to come. We have a foretaste of the ultimate family. We have a foretaste of eternal life, the ultimate future. We have a foretaste of Jesus as the ultimate lover in in our lives. Um, But 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 they say, well, they said the time is short, and, and he was expecting Jesus to return soon, and Jesus didn't return soon. So everything that he says is based on that false assumption. But that's not so. Paul is not saying that he believes Jesus will return soon. He's not saying that uh, the present age will soon pass away. Listen to what he says. He says, for this present world, uh, the the world in its present form is passing away. The world in its present form is busy passing away. And we have that hope of the future. Now... And because of that, because we have that, see, we can have radical devotion to Jesus, our Lord, undivided devotion to the Lord, which then can flow out, can then flow out into undivided devotion to one another. Whether we are spouses, whether we are brothers and sisters, whatever our relationship is, out of that devotion to Jesus can, can flow our devotion to one another. So both singleness and marriage is a is a, is a gift from God and um, an opportunity to, for undivided devotion to the Lord. And what Paul is, is saying is make sure that no matter who else you devote your life to, no matter who else you make yourself vulnerable to in relationship, no matter who else you commit yourself to in relationship, make sure that First and foremost, you commit yourself to Jesus. Because He's the only one that will fully return your commitment and then some. Your devotion and then some. He's the only one that will love you more than you love Him. <clears throat> he's the only one who can do that, who can love you that much. And once you are that loved, then you are ready to love others the way that you are loved. Once you are that cherished, once you are that um, Once you know that security of your love in in God, in Christ, then you are ready for either marriage or singleness. And then it won't matter. Then it won't matter. And you know what I've I've found is so often we, because of this pressure from the culture, you know, there's this view that you cannot possibly be a fulfilled human being um, unless you're in a relationship. Or if you're not in a relationship, there must be something wrong with you. Right? <laughs> there must be something wrong with you. And, and we, we take that pressure upon us. We take that pressure upon us. And we become desperate because we think like the world. And we put that pressure upon ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is take that pressure away. Here's the trick. Here's, here's the thing. And now the devil tricks us. He tricks us into adopting the world's view of relationship, of idolizing relationship. And anything that you idolize, anything that you make your God, you must have it. And if you don't have it, you're going to die. And then we feel that pressure because we idolize relationship like the world. And the very thing, the, the very fact that we idolize it makes us unsuited for it in a Christian sense. And, and you know what I've seen so many, it happened so, so many times. As soon as someone who's so desperate, so absolutely desperate, praying daily, begging, fighting with the Lord, you know, Lord, why, why, <laughs> why? when are you going to send him, when are you going to send her, you know, travailing, weeping, you know. And, and, and I, have, I have compassion for, 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 that, for, for that anguish because I felt it too. But what I found is as soon as, as we as Christians take that desperation, that anguish, and we lay it like Isaac on the altar and relinquish it, then whether the Lord gives it to us or not, we're okay. And when he does give it to us, we can actually enjoy it without that unrealistic pressure. Of having, you know, this relationship must fulfill me. I mean, just think. I mean, ask anyone who's been married for a while. Things go wrong in your relationship. Things go wrong in your marriage. Imagine if you're looking to that marriage to fulfill you and something goes wrong. Imagine how that's going to make you feel. That's why, um, you know, Louis Malarbo said, you know, a good marriage is the closest thing you're going to get to heaven on earth. But a bad marriage is the closest thing you're going to get to hell on earth. I was speaking to Neil and, and, and Herman this morning and, and, and they were saying, oh, you know, to, you know to, 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 be, to be in a happy marriage is great. You know, it's, it's really blessed. It's really blessed to love one another. Um, but being in a bad marriage, it's, better, it's, it's ten times better to be single than to be in a bad marriage. And guess what? If you put that pressure, that expectation of, this marriage must complete me, this marriage or this relationship must fulfill me, on your marriage or your relationship, it is going to be a bad marriage. It is going to be a bad relationship, guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. And, and there are so many, I mean, if, if I think about the, the people, you know, married couples coming to me as a pastor for counseling, the most common reason why, they struggle, is codependence. Codependence means that, um, you know, I look to you for, to fulfill me and you look to me to fulfill you. And we're sort of codependent on one another. we like two fleas that each of us thought we found the dog. And then we realized that we <laughs> there's no dog, just two fleas, you know. <laughs> That's codependence. And, and, that, and that comes from that it comes from that, putting that expectation that should be on Jesus, on your relationship. And it destroys your relationship. So I want to I encourage you. Let, let's stand this, this evening. And I want to encourage you to, <clears throat> to make Jesus your one true love. Otherwise, you'll never know true love. Make Jesus your one true love. Otherwise, you'll never know true love. I just want you to close your eyes, right there where you, where you're standing, and you know where you are. You, you know where you're at. You know where your heart is. You know, you know whether you're, um, you know, married, single, in a in a relationship, whatever your situation is. You know how you feel about it. You know the fears. You know the anxiety. You know the doubts. You know the insecurities. But I just want you to close your eyes, <clears throat> and I just want you to. In your own words, do business with Jesus. And say, Jesus, I want you to be my one true love. And I want you to heal me. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember after that, that lady in, in my second year dumped me after three months. I, I remember just feeling so hurt. And I remember sitting on my bed in, in Oslo. I was in Ace Maria in Stellenbosch. And I remember sitting there crying on my bed. And, and, and just being so despondent, and so desperate, and so downcast, and, and, and saying to God, God, I'm so messed up. <laughs> I'm such a mess. I cannot have normal, I've never had a normal relationship with, with a woman. I never even had a, a close friendship with a woman, you know. I, I just don't know how to have relationship with women. I'm just messed up. I'm totally messed up. I, you know, am I ever going to be able to marry? Ever, you know. And you know what? As soon as I gave it to the Lord, the Lord started working in my life. And I've been married for more than 15 years now. Three children. And, and sitting there on my bed, I would never have thought I would ever possibly be able to be married and, and happily married. And, and now, God has done it for me. He's taken me from being so messed up to had At least being not messed up, so badly messed up so that they can at least be married, you know, and be a father, you know, to children. So just do business with him. Just close your eyes and bring all that expectation to him. Take it off your future marriage, your relationship, your spouse. Take it off them and put it on Jesus. He can carry it.